the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Difference Makers. Welcome. My name is Mike Lee, Director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800, now on 106.3 FM in East Portland and Vancouver. 93.9 KPDQ, AM 860, The Answer, KPAM, La Patrona 1640, 93.1 El Rey, and 104.1 The Fish. And I'd love to talk with you about getting more people back to your church, sharing about your ministry through our free online church directory and our church service live stream directory, expanding your ministry or your business beyond your walls, establishing yourself as an authority in your field, and becoming more known through radio and podcasting. Building awareness of your company or outreach by hosting our events at your location at no risk to you. Marketing your message or brand directly to your target audience through the latest and most powerful online tools of Salem Surround. And most importantly, if your ministry leader or pastor could use a phone call, a word of encouragement, a cup of coffee, or a connection to others, please email me at mikelee at kpdq.com. That's M-I-K-E-L-E-E at K-P-D-Q dot com. And speaking of pastors, our very special guest today was my worship and arts pastor back at Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle before we moved out to the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So welcome, founder, president, and author of Worship is Life, Todd Marshall. How are you today, brother? I am well, Mike. It's so great to talk to you. I miss you, man. Yeah, I miss you and Brenda and the kids as well. And they're not kids anymore. So by all means, let's lead off with your beautiful wife and family and where you are today. Yeah. So we moved back to the Twin Cities eight and a half years ago. And so we're in a St. Paul suburb of Woodbury, which is about 10 miles from the Wisconsin border. We're the last, basically the last eastern suburb before the Wisconsin border. And um, yeah, been here eight and a half years. Our daughter, Kelsey, is now 31. She married in 2013, is that right? Somewhere in there. And we have a beautiful grandson named Zane. That's Zane with a Y, and he's gonna be two this December 6th. So just a little over a month away. So he is the the best joy of our life right now. Got to be with him last evening when it was a little sad because they're going to Florida tomorrow. So I'm not going to see him for two weeks till I get down there. Anyway, so she's married to Ben and uh, Ben's a licensed minister, but currently working as a, um, a loan officer doing really, really well. Um, and then our son, who you met first when he was just two and a half years old, he is now 24, and he is a full-time traveling Christian artist and does some pop music as well, and and uh, he's leading worship almost every Sunday in a different church around the state and the country, and, and uh, yeah, he's doing great. He's actually on a four-day school assembly tour right now. 
Um, so yeah, they're all just they're all just doing so great, and we're so thankful. That's wild. You'll have to make sure that you give me your son Taylor Marshall's website information and things like that, and I'll make sure to add it to the Difference Makers page at truetalkit100.com. Yeah, for sure. The little Taylor Marshall I remember, to the best of my memory, he was about two years old in a tuxedo conducting the Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra behind his dad, (laughs) being you, and now he's 20-something and touring, although oddly enough— Another Smithtown Gospel pastor, Ted Bichelle, his son is Brad of Brad and yep. Rebecca, also touring. So it's kind of wild to see these yep. little ones grow up so nicely, yep. walk with the Lord, and serve him directly. For sure. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to be working in an official church or ministry. Because I'll argue that your son-in-law, working in what I would call the corporate or the real world, has different opportunities to witness to people that yep. he wouldn't have from behind the pulpit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a huge part of our Worship is Life ministry, pointing out those very truths and giving some people some pointers on how to make that happen. My wife, Brenda, we've been in ministry together, married in ministry together for over 36 years. And she actually just this year came on staff at our ministry. So we're back to capturing the synergy that we had in 30 years of church staff ministry working together. And it's it's been great. Well, congratulations on that. The website is worshipislife.org, which I'll post on the Difference Makers page at truetalkin100.com. And make sure to follow Worship Is Life on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Do you do the TikTok thing yet? (laughs) No, not going there. (laughs) Not going there. It's amazing how addictive these videos have gotten. You you click on one thing and the algorithm's point another one at you that they know you're at least going yeah. to be interested in and it just kind of ends yeah. up in a downward spiral sometimes for me yeah i've never been on tiktok even one time <laughs> believe it or not and even with my instagram and facebook one of my wife's responsibilities is every night to go on those two social media pages of mine on my phone and do all the scrolling and respond and responding, so people out there know that, or at least have uh, a feeling that I'm uh, I'm connecting with them and keeping track of their lives because that's just, yeah. I mean, some of it is just I don't enjoy it, but I know most people are aware how much identity issues there are in the social media things and comparing and all that stuff. But for me, it's it's a real thing. Like I just. I just don't like the the mode I get in when I'm there. So I have my wife do it because she loves it. She loves it and she can keep it in good perspective somehow in a ways that I can't. So I just have her do that for me on my pages. <laughs> May as well go with your strength, especially if she enjoys it. Yeah. So what exactly is Worship is Life, Todd Marshall? Wow. So I was still at Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle in 2013. It was Mother's Day morning, so Sunday morning, 7.30 a.m. I was the only human being in the sanctuary getting ready for our three morning services that day, and I was walking up the staircase that you have seen hundreds of times inside the sanctuary, so inside the sanctuary staircase going up to the balcony to turn things on, and I got halfway up, and just in a stunning way, God stopped me in my tracks, interrupted my thoughts, and I heard him say, you've done what you can do here. 
and I was just like, excuse me? <laughs> okay, now I'm listening, Lord. Do you want to say something else? And nothing. And I spent the next few mornings just on my knees begging him to get that specific and clear. And Wednesday morning, I was just, I'm like, Lord, I need to hear something else here. Because that was like a life-altering statement. And I heard him say, graciously, he interrupted my thoughts again with these words. I've given you a message for my church about worship. And I'm positioning you so that message will have a greater influence. And I'm like, okay. I have no idea what that message is, but that is a that is a clear word and a clear direction. And so we were... Still on staff there for another eight months, but February of 2014, we moved back to the Twin Cities where at one point I had lived for 17 years and had lots of connections um, in churches and in the district of the Assemblies of God here and lots of guys I went to school with pastoring in the area because I just thought, well, if we're going to start something brand new, we got to be somewhere where we know a wide spread of people. So moved back here to launch this ministry of using the language of worship to help people connect their relationship with God to their relationship with others. And yeah, we just we just knock on doors and sometimes doors just get open without us knocking and I've been in seven countries on four continents and all around this country and all around the state of Minnesota just uh bringing this message to the body of Christ um, on what it looks like to stay engaged with God throughout your whole day so that you can be an open vessel of his to touch his world. And uh, on one hand, that's Christianity 101. Uh, I think what catches people's ear is we're using the language of worship to give that message. Because as you know, in the last 50 years, our church language has formed us to connect the word worship to the idea of music and singing in such a strong way. You could argue that our idea is that worship equals music and singing, even though nobody would say that. Nobody would say that that's true. But our words and actions have got us thinking that way. And what that can lead to is just another way of compartmentalizing our relationship with God separate from our relationship to life. And so we're just uh, using the language of worship to help people look at it holistically every moment, you know, just another way of, of unpacking the statement, the phrase life in the spirit, walking in the spirit, pray without ceasing. A phrase we use is living in awe of God. A-W-E, acknowledge, welcome, engage, staying engaged by always acknowledging, always welcoming God into every conversation. Some of the key insights, at the language of some of the key insights I share are worship equals relationship. So God's always looking through the lens of relationship. Everything God does is in the context of relationship. Second insight is God does relationship in a pattern. So I'm going on and on and on here, but when I left New York to launch this ministry and discover this message, I learned a couple things about myself in that process. And one of them was I realized that I was living a lot of my life 
a lot of my days disconnected from God. So not running from God, not intentionally ignoring God, but just disconnected, just uh, disengaged, disengaged, just disconnected. And so a couple of questions I ask people when I'm speaking is, you know, what is the connection between a worship service and a life of worship? And why does that matter? So the second insight has become really key in that. And that is discovering in the scripture and experiencing life, how God does relationship and using the language of revelation and response. So God is always revealing himself. And through that, always inviting us to respond. And then when we respond, then God responds. And we experience that on a weekly basis when we go to a service. But then it's so easy to get caught in the out of sight, out of mind reality and then get disengaged from listening to God, disengaged from looking to God and disengaged from responding to God. And as soon as we do that, as soon as we disengage, that impacts our relationship with everybody else around us. And it also impacts our ability to influence people in the name of the Lord. So, and then the third insight is we worship God best when we love others. So just really making a strong connection between relationship with God and relationship with others, having those two come together and not be separate. And that's worship is life. I love it, Todd. Worship is life. In your many travels, do you think that these hangups we have, is that an American church thing? And how are we misinterpreting what we should be defining as worship? No, it's not an American thing. It's a, it's a humanity thing. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lots of pieces of our humanity that feed into that, that compartmentalizing. And part of it is like you and me as men, you know, we're wired to compartmentalize, right? Like men are wired to compartmentalize and women are not, but with men leading the way in most of history, it's our language and our actions that shapes culture. And so we just kind of naturally compartmentalize things. And another thing we do as men is we over-focus on the doing, and we under-focus on the relational dynamics that are connected to the doing. And that's been a lot of my life. I mean, I am a task-oriented introvert, as you know personally. (laughs) I mean, we were friends, so you got to see the friendly side of me. But in my task-oriented introvertedness, I could often come across as just not friendly or intense or over-focused on the doing, which is pretty typical amongst the male the male species and so yeah it's not an american thing it's a humanity thing and matter of fact because of the internet <laughs> i mean this influence did start in the west but because of the internet the whole idea that worship equals music and singing is very common all around the world i mean i find it the same everywhere i go Great insights from Todd Marshall, the founder, president, and author of Worship is Life. And more information at the website worshipislife.org. More with Todd Marshall next on Different Makers. Welcome back to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here with my dear old friend, Todd Marshall, the founder, president, and author of Worship is Life. Make sure to follow Worship is Life on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. 
And do check out the website worshipislife.org. That's worshipislife.org, which I'll link up to the Difference Makers page at truetalk800.com. Todd, thanks so much for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to spend some time with me. And something that you'd mentioned earlier struck a chord with me, which is you were in your comfort zone. You had become the worship pastor at Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle, a mega church in suburban Long Island, New York. You and Brenda had brought the Passion Play, which had brought people from all over. We're talking people would drive down from Connecticut through (laughs) New York City to come out to Long Island because they wanted to see the real Jesus in this free Easter Passion Play. Yeah. Jesus rode it in a donkey and stuff like that. (laughs) And you hanging on the cross as one of our thieves. (laughs) Sad but true. I always wanted to be physically larger than I am. I tower over the rest of my family at five foot eight. And two jobs I'd received, one was thief number two on the cross because I looked lighter than the last guy. Actually, that was Brad Bichelle, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the highest paying job I ever had, Todd, was as an airborne traffic reporter for Shadow Traffic Metro Networks. And admittedly, I got the job because the previous reporter had broken 300 pounds and the pilots were afraid to fly with him. So basically, my not large stature got me a couple of really cool jobs over the years. I got to say, since you mentioned Brad and and the cross, I got to say in 30 years, he's the only thief we had fall off a cross. (laughs) God bless Brad and Rebecca. Those were shoes I had to attempt to fill in. I'm up there, this this skinny guy in a diaper with makeup on next to our pal Joel, Joel, who was buff. The man worked out. (laughs) I'm hanging on the cross next to buff Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good old Joel oh, Ferraro. He was fantastic at it, though. Oh, he was. Do you know the story? I'm sure you were already gone, right? When our second Jesus, Todd Burtis, got deathly sick on the second week. Yeah. And then didn't you have to fly Joel Ferraro back up yep. to fill in for sick poor Todd Burtis? Yeah. Both of them are amazing. It had been like five years since he'd done it. I literally called him on a Tuesday evening before Good Friday, Easter weekend. I picked him up Thursday night, 10 p.m. We're driving back from the airport, and I'm walking him through all the changes we made since he left. It was crazy. Oh, it was crazy. So the Passion Play was this massive Easter production with – hundreds of volunteers, costume, Jesus rode in on a donkey, that kind of thing. And to my memory, was it three shows it, no, it was, per each weekend? Yes. This was yes, a big deal. Yes, you can't lose your lead. Yeah. You can't lose your Jesus. Yeah, there'd be like 8,000 people come, yeah. Good old Joel Farrell just picked up right where he left off after a five-year hiatus. Is that it? Yep, that's it. It was crazy. Literally, the lights would go off, and he would be saying to people around, okay, what's next? Where do I go next? And the lights would come on, and bam, he had every line. It was just, it was bizarre. Good times. Man, I'd forgotten about that. So for all of you out there working in music and drama ministries, hang in there. I firmly believe that there are spiritual battles going on. We face powers and principalities, not just flesh and blood. And things just happen. You just bicker with your wife and kids more if you're in the (laughs) midst of such a ministry, it seems to me. 
yeah, it's it's always there, which is why I just uh, it's why I love the language of worship equals relationship because when when we can stay in a place of just realizing it's all about relationship. Honestly, it's my relationships with people that help be a barometer of where I am in my relationship with God. And by the way, I want to still circle back when we got sidetracked from saying something struck a chord with you. But let me just say that when I find myself unloving or unkind or impatient with my wife or my kids or anybody else that comes across my path, that is a barometer for me that, okay, I am not connected with the Lord in a way that I should be right now because, because myself is getting in the way in a way that it shouldn't be. And that's not to say that we should always be happy-go-lucky and not have down moments, which are natural, but how we react to them is certainly, as you would say, yeah. are a barometer of our walk with the Lord, yeah. how we're treating the people around us. Absolutely. So I guess I wanted to set the stage for saying that you are the worship ministry pastor, leader, and musician of a pretty huge, well-known, successful megachurch on Long Island. Mm. And when you told me you walked up those stairs and God clearly said to you, you've done all you can do here, Mm -hmm. was that anything that you had expected or had looked forward to in the past? Prior to that moment, Todd, where did you think your life was going to be? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So over 30 years, I served in three different congregations. And so I have walked through seasons of just having a sense that a shift was coming. So I know, I know what that sense is like. And so I will say that leading up to that, that I, I had a sense that a shift was coming because you know, I've been there 13 and a half years. I've been in this role for 30 years. And, you know, there were parts of my role that had been life-giving that were becoming life-draining. And that was a sign to me. It's like, okay, I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where, but probably something might be shifting. So I was in that phase, but hearing those words in that way were still pretty shocking. (laughs) For those of us who are privileged to work in ministry or at a church, is it sometimes a little bit too easy for us to fall in our own personal ruts that we're not really seeking God, but we're trying to do our very best for him. And then sometimes we get off track and it becomes about us and our efforts and our creativity versus what God's calling us to do. And how do we tell the difference? Oh man. I'm not sure how to answer the second question. (laughs) The first question is a resounding yes, because that goes back to our humanity, right? This is like our tendency is to over-focus on the doing. You know, one of my aha moments uh, in the last three or four years was I was just in my daily Bible reading, reading Mary and Martha. Uh, at the home of Lazarus when they all came over for dinner. I think that's Luke 10. And for me, you know, being the introvert and not just the introvert, but the task-oriented person, I always felt like Martha got like the bum rap in that story. And that bugged me because I saw myself as a Martha, right? Because Martha was the doer. Mary was the one sitting there. 
And whenever I read that story, whenever I heard that story taught, it was like the impression was that Jesus was affirming, even praising what Mary was quote unquote doing and kind of scolding or downplaying what Martha was quote unquote doing. But in the last several years, as my studies of worship have gotten deeper, I was reading it just this few years ago and I'm like, I saw some like, wait a minute, that that's not the that's not the lesson of this story at all. Because when you look at the original language words in the Bible that we translate into the word worship, there's two original language words. One of them means bowing, which is what Mary was quote unquote doing. But the other one means serving, which is what Martha was quote unquote doing. And I'm like, okay, Mary is engaged in a word that means worship. Martha is engaged in a word that means worship. So that can't be the lesson of the story. And so then I just focused on Jesus' words to Mary and, and even the beginning of, in the narrative where it says Martha was distracted by her many preparations. And then Jesus said to her, you are worried and upset. Mary has chosen what is better. So it's like, okay, so Martha is worried and upset. Mary's chosen what is better. What has Mary chosen? What is Martha worried and upset about? And realizing that when we look through the lens of relationship, when we look at that passage through the lens of relationship, Mary has chosen to focus on relationship where Martha Yes, she's doing the act of serving, but her focus is on herself. Her focus is on herself. So that would be the answer to the second question. Like when we recognize, have someone else recognize in us, when the Lord reveals to us that our focus is on ourself, that's when we know we're not in the right spot. Because what happens is, when we overfocus on the doing, which I mentioned before, that is a sign that the focus is on ourselves and not the relational aspect that the serving is connected to. We do the same thing even with quote unquote sin, like a good act or a bad act. Our tendency in our humanity is to overfocus on the deed, the act, and underfocus on the relational dynamic that is connected to the act. Matter of fact, the whole Mary and Martha story could have been reversed. Like Mary could have been sitting there because she's lazy <laughs> and didn't want to do any work, which is what Martha was accusing her of probably. And Martha could have been serving completely out of a focus on Jesus and everybody else in, in the house. So that's an interesting thought. But just the whole, you know, as soon as we get over-focused on the doing, then the focus is on ourselves. And that's the I guess I would say that's the one barometer that we can all sit back and ask ourselves. Am I over-focused on the doing? There has to be doing. There has to be work. We're created to work. We're created to serve. That involves doing. But our tendency is to over-focus on the doing. So to sit back and say, okay, am I over-focused on the doing or am I focused on the relational dynamic that, that's connected to the doing slash serving? I love that illustration you made, Todd, about Mary and Martha. It kind of reminds me of the prodigal son story, 
mm-hmm. the good son, the one who stayed behind and worked hard. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Dad, I didn't blow all my money on prostitutes and partying and never throw a party for me. Yep. But where was his focus? Yep. Absolutely. You see it everywhere in scripture. I mean, it's everywhere because that's our humanity. <laughs> so maybe it is all about relationships, first and foremost, with the Lord. And if we're not spending time with him in prayer and in silence and actually waiting for him to answer, as opposed to tossing our daily laundry list at him, mm-hmm. God bless me with this and heal that person or hook that person up with a job or a new home, mm-hmm. you know, and actually mm-hmm. taking the time to have a two-way relationship with God yeah. and having that line of communication go both ways. It's certainly great advice from Todd Marshall of Worship Is Life. Check out the website, worshipislife.org. More with Todd Marshall next on Difference Makers. You're listening to Difference Makers. I'm Mike Lee, and today I have the very special privilege of interviewing an old friend from my Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle days back in New York. And in my head, Todd, I'm still (laughs) 30-something, but when you think about the fact that you're now a grandfather, it just baffles me. (laughs) Me too. But I love what you're doing. I love that... You were obedient to God's calling. Mm. You left the big mega church where you were so good at what you did and loved and then walked into this worship is life chapter of your life, which is mm. so vastly different. And it was fairly unknown at that point. So I think God talks to married couples. Yeah. And I remember that God had put it on my wife Pam's heart that we were actually going to leave that church. We were going to leave Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle. And she confided in our friend, Kimmy Vargas, another powerhouse voice mm-hmm. from the music ministry, and said, yep. Kimmy, I got to tell yep. you this, but I can't tell Mike this yet because I don't want to manipulate him. I want God to speak with him separately. And God made it idiot-proof. Mm-hmm. So I joke about myself, Todd, as the guy who drove into the pond if the GPS told him to. Mm. But I'm telling you, in this case, regarding the move across country, God made it so incredibly crystal clear mm. that it got to a point where – Staying in New York anymore was disobedience to God, even though Mm. I didn't have the promise of anything in the Pacific Northwest. So when you left New York for Minnesota, how was it between you and your wife, Brenda? Um, So Brenda is and has always been just a few things. Number one, you know, just really supportive. Number two, really trusting and trustworthy. And number three, pretty good at going with the flow. So the very first time I told her what I had heard, you know, it stunned her. It caught her off guard. It shocked her. I have no testimony of of God preparing her and saying and her saying i've been waiting for you there's nothing like that it uh it stunned her like it had stunned me it it stunned both of us to hear a word like that so clearly and i had my ideas my pictures of what i thought that was going to look like she had her pictures of what she thought was going to look like but because of our just thankful maturing health where our relationship was at point 
it just became like a discovery process together. It, it just it was a it was a discovery process together. And thankfully, even though we told our leadership at the congregation pretty quick after I got the word, you know, we were still, like I said before, still there on staff for eight months. And so not only were we processing it together, but our whole team was processing it with us together. Our whole congregation was processing it together with us. And Brenda was just, she was just great that, that whole time. She just, she has a high level of trust and dependence on the Lord. And thankfully she was able to put her trust and dependence on him even more than me. And um, it's just, it's just turned out really well so far. (laughs) So even when it's scary, if we're delving into what God's called us to do and we get it confirmed with trusted counsel and it's nothing anti-biblical, when we push through God often gives us something more amazing than we ever could have imagined had we stayed back in our previous life. Mm. Yeah, and I would say not only even when it's scary, but especially when it's scary. Yeah. Again, when, you know, when we're in relationship with our creator and redeemer and helper, and he wants to nudge us or even push us out of the boat, it's going to feel scary. Chapter three in my book is identity and security. (laughs) Because when we left there, it launched me into a whole identity crisis. And and that involved security, too. And, um, you know, when I was at SGT with you, Mike, I thought I had a really deep relationship with God. (laughs) And when he asked me to step out of the boat, and I did. I quickly discovered how shallow my relationship was. And when I say that is what I mean is my level of trust and my level of dependence. Those are the two words I use to describe faith. Because I'm always looking through the lens of relationship, which means I'm always trying to use obvious relational words instead of what can sometimes be our religious sounding words. So for me, faith means trust and dependence. And when we left New York and we were getting prepared to leave New York and we're on, literally on the trip back to Minnesota, oh my goodness, did I discover how shallow my level of trust and dependence was and the false senses of security I had um, in other things, for sure. It's so easy for us to place our trust in that which makes us more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And you'd mentioned identity, Todd. So many of us take on the identity of the job we have, whether it's in the workforce, as a husband, as a parent, coach, friend, fill in the blank. I think especially in music and in the arts, your identity often becomes what you do, not who you are. Absolutely. That's, I call that lie identity lie number one. So when I'm teaching on identity, I take the three temptations and point to three identity lies. And number one is I am what I do. Take these stones and turn them into bread. If you are, Lucifer challenges Jesus' identity. If you are who you say you are, take an act of your own will and your own ability to meet your own needs and your own desires. Lie number one, I am what I do. Lie number two is... I am what others think of me, throw yourself down, prove who you are, 
And line number three is, I am what I have. Here's all the kingdoms of the world and their power. You can have it all if you will just bow down and worship me. But yeah, they're all three connected, but you're right. I am what I do is a huge one that all of us can quickly recognize in our lives. Well, not only is Worship is Life the name of your ministry and your Facebook page and the website worshipislife.org, but it's also the title of your book, Worship is Life. So can you give us the big picture from 30,000 feet? Yeah. What prompted you to write this book? Did you always have aspirations to be an author, Todd? Never. <laughs> Never one aspiration. It's too much work. It's too much work to write and publish a book, even if it's self-published. No. So when I left New York, which was traumatic on many levels, like it is for all of us when we make that kind of move, I also was starting my master's in worship studies at the same time. And that was traumatic because, I mean, I hadn't been in school for 30 years. And at the end of that, we had an internship and we had to have these certain things we had to accomplish within the internship. And I had just been on a call with a guy who was kind of giving me a free coaching session. And he was the first one that said, you need to write a book. I'm like, what? And so I ended up choosing as one of my directives for that internship to write the introduction and the first couple chapters of what could be a book. And it's not a long book. It's only six chapters long, 120 pages or whatever. But that was the impetus of it then. And for me, it was it was like, I want to get this message on paper and have a way of getting it into people's hands as quickly and succinctly as possible. So yeah, so this this brief but uh, hopefully blessed book came out of that. Oh, I love it. And you can find out more about how to get your copy of the book, Worship is Life, at the website, worshipislife.org. Mm-hmm. And Todd, something else you were mentioning is... Love and respect. So what has God shown you about love and respect? Yeah. So I'm sure that many of your listeners are probably familiar with uh, with the Edgerich ministry and their love and respect. And we had them come to Smithtown Gospel. And yeah, that was just definitely an aha moment of seeing, looking at male-female relationships, and in particular, husband and wife relationships, through that lens of love and respect. And, and actually, I, I apply it to all relationships now because it really does apply to all relationships. But especially with male-female relationships, just knowing, recognizing that the natural language of a man is respect and the natural language of a woman is love. And in our humanity, as a man when we feel disrespected, we become unloving. And when a woman feels unloved, she becomes disrespectful. And that whole, what they call a crazy cycle, is so easy to get caught up in. And that was actually another aha moment I had several years ago in developing this message when it comes to relationships. Like when it comes to relationships, we think it's all about how we feel about the other person, which even with that can be very self centered. But unfortunately, it's even more self-centered than that, because what I've realized is it's really about our relationships when we're in our humanity, 
is really about how the other person makes us feel about ourselves, <laughs> which is that's a really sad statement, but I've just discovered by life experience how true it is. And so the whole love and respect is just pointing that out and talking about the crazy cycle and then the energizing cycle when we as husbands are being loving and then wives return that with respect and we return that with love. And then there's the rewarded cycle where as the husband, if you are not feeling like you're getting respect from your wife, you're still being loving with God's help. As the wife, if you're not feeling loved, you're still giving respect with God's help and not living like our humanity wants us to live. And that is finding our identity and how others are making us feel about ourselves but finding our identity in who we are as God's child, God's friend, and God's servant. And actually, it's right there in Ephesians 5.33. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. I love how you made the addendum, Todd, that through God and with God's help, because without God's help, I'm not strong enough on my best day to want to pick up the dog poop Mm. or do the laundry or do the dishes or do the taxes or pick my kid up. Yep. It has to be through God because I am not strong enough. Yep. And we're so driven in this world to think, oh, it's all about us. It's all about our efforts. And in some cases, it is. We're going to receive to some degree more if we try than if we don't try. That's common sense. However, we cannot live this life successfully for Christ without a relationship with God, first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. You can't separate them. And that's why that was another aha moment for me when Jesus answered the Jewish leader, the question of what are the two greatest commands when he said, the second command is like the first. The second command is the same as the first, because you cannot separate relationship with God and relationship with others. You just, you, you, you can't separate them. So, If I had, this is another aha moment. If I had one thing I could say to pastors and leaders, it would be preach the full gospel. And what I mean by that is, this might sound sacrilegious to some, but I feel like sometimes we over-focus on relationship with God because we so seldom tie it to relationship with others. We so seldom tie eternal life to relationship with others, because we know it starts with a relationship with God, but then when you mix that with our individualistic perspective, sometimes we just get stuck there. And just like you said, you know you can't can't serve your wife and your family without the help of God. And if we're gonna preach the full gospel, we're gonna tell people you need relationship with God because that's the only way you can have healthy relationship with the others around you. Matter of fact, this is another aha moment. When Jesus answered the rich young ruler on his question of how do I find eternal life, Jesus gave him a list of six commands, six of the 10 commands. And guess which six he gave him? (laughs) The six on how to do relationship with people. I'm like, wow, that's pretty stunning. Anyway, let's preach the full gospel. Relationship with God always translates into our relationships with others. Great wisdom and experience from Todd Marshall, who grew up mostly in South Dakota, raised in a Christian home, got his music degree from North Central University in Minneapolis, 
ordained in the Assembly of God Church with a master's in worship studies from the Institute for Worship Studies in Jacksonville, Florida. And he also served as a worship arts pastor in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and New York before writing the book and also a children's version of Worship is Life. More information is available at his website, worshipislife.org. And Todd, on the way out, is there anyone you want to say hi to or send a shout out to? Oh, my goodness. Other than my wonderful wife and great kids and adoring and adorable grandson, no one else has come to mind other than maybe just our mutual friends, our mutual friends in New York. Actually, I was there just a month ago for a funeral of a former choir member whose family, of course, you know really well, the Ortiz family. But yeah, all of our, just all of our mutual friends from New York. It's funny how many years can go between talking to each other or seeing each other, and yet we just pick up right where we left off. Yep. I guess that's a God thing. It is. That's the, that's the mystery of relationship. Yep. So thank you again so much, Todd Marshall, and thank you for listening to Difference Makers. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.